Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 114 of uh, the Citrix Session. I'm your host, Andy Whiteside. I had to hesitate. I just looked it up. Then we had a conversation slightly, like, I don't know, 10 seconds worth, and I had forgotten. I guess that's because we've got so many of these um, that they're all kind of running together. Jeremy Myers is with us. Jeremy's the uh, Director of Sales Engineering for the um, East Coast for Citrix. Jeremy, how's it going? Fantastic. How are you doing, Andy? Good. From your perspective, should we... Um, should we do seasons or should we just keep adding up the sessions? Ooh, I like seasons, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I get it. The number, you know what? No, uh, the, the podcast that I, one of the podcasts I follow a lot is Windows Weekly mm-hmm. out on uh, podcast land. And they're up to like episode 1400 something. Yeah. I just made that up, but I don't know. I like that. Let's, let's keep doing that. All right. So quick side note on that one. I, I love what we do here. We get down to it. We cover the content and then we hang up, right? That Windows Weekly podcast, I can't listen to it anymore because it's three and a half hours and it's the substance two. is only like 30 minutes. I, so, I mean, full disclosure, here's how I listen to it because I love, um, I do love the insight, um, especially around what's coming on Windows desktop, Windows 10, Windows 11, stuff like that, the, the hardware, which is great. And Mary Jo also covers some of the enterprise stuff. But you're right, that that podcast is like two or three hours long. And I only listen to it as I'm coming and going to the gym each day. So I catch it in about 11 minute increments and that's about enough. That's about enough, yeah. but, but it does take it, me. It takes me a week. It does. You can never get through it. I mean, I, I, yeah. I try to listen on the plane. I'll, I'll take off and land and I'm watching, I'm listening at it at super fast speed and I still don't get through the thing. Cause they're just, and I like what they do. I'm, my, one of my measurements for uh, success and what we're doing here is hopefully someday they're going to reach out to me and ask me to join the podcast for just one episode on, <laughs> on uh, AVD or M365 or windows 365. I know it's never going to happen, but uh, that because I listened to it for so many years. Yeah. Uh, Bill Sutton is with us. Bill's the director of services as Integra. Bill, how's it going? Uh, it's going great, Andy. You uh, you staying busy? Oh yeah, we're really busy, uh, which is a good thing, in some, in many ways. So yeah, we're we're, uh, we're the team is um, pretty booked out and and working hard. So if you're listening to this and you're interested in a consulting or helping us with our managed service practice, reach out to myself or Bill and LinkedIn maybe, and uh, you know let us know because we're we're growing and uh, I work we work really hard to continue to recruit recruit recruit. Um, Things are good, and uh, we need more help. So, if you're uh, if you're interested in working for a very focused in-user compute digital workspace company, um, that's us, and let us know. Yes, I would echo that. Absolutely, reach out. So, uh, Jeremy, we got a topic we're going to cover in a minute, but you got rumor of me asking questions at the IGEL Disrupt in New York last week. Uh, you were going to ask me about. it. I told you to hold off. What the what 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 did you hear happen? Well, so listen, I didn't get to go to VMware. Um, is it Explorer? Yeah. Explorer, right? Yeah. So I didn't get to go to VMware Explorer. Um, and then there was an IGEL event last week up in New York City um, where I think VMware also presented. So I was trying to wrap my head around. Uh, it sounds like there's an evolution of Horizon Cloud, I want to say. Um, maybe a little bit different than how it worked before. But I wanted to lean into that and just really understand what that looked like. So from what I gather, it's a model that's not unlike um, Citrix and our DAS surface, except for maybe it only covers right now it's an Azure out of the gate. Um, doesn't include things like gateway type service functionality, if you're familiar with the, the Citrix DAS service. So um, I was just trying to understand what it looked like. You know, what were what were some of the 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 high notes there and kind of where they're headed? Obviously, as a competitor, I'm trying to understand. That's all. Well, I think it's an interesting conversation because you guys have done this. I've done this. Uh, mm-hmm. Citrix has done this where you swing from application-centric conversations mm-hmm. back to maybe desktop conversations, which mm-hmm. you know, if you've ever heard me make the argument, I think the Windows UI, aka the desktop, is the most widely used Microsoft um, application on the planet. Um, mm-hmm. And so the desktop is just an app that gets you to other apps with a convenient you know, you know, UI that you're familiar with. Um, but I think what uh, what a lot of folks are doing, including Citrix and VMware, is really getting conversations, trying to steer them back to the world of apps, because as the world moves more towards SaaS, uh, modern apps, we were just talking about this in my management meeting, um, it's going to be important that players like Citrix, like VMware, um, like Microsoft, uh, really stays relevant in that conversation between x86, you know, legacy apps and SaaS-based modern apps. 
And uh, I think a lot of the players in this space, including Citrix, is really trying to um, make sure the conversation um, around apps is not neglected and that the world sees that's where we're all headed, even though there's been like this 10-year time frame where we try to just get people to desktops because that's what got them more successful quicker. Um, so does that part make sense? does and i guess um and maybe this is the last thing you just said but you know why did we and i don't mean like we as in citrix or we as in you know the two of us but why did we as an industry sort of pivot more towards maybe a like a like a i hate to say vdi but a full desktop as opposed to an application um a, a hosted and presented virtual desktop right yeah, that's and, a good way to say it. And, and by, I say it that way on purpose because it's virtual because it's running as a virtual object, a virtual entity, and it's mm -hmm. also virtual because it's being presented virtually across a network. It's actually, when you talk about a virtual desktop, whether it's VDI or server-based, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's two forms of virtual. It's virtualized as a machine, and then it's also virtualized as how it's delivered. Um, I, that's why I argue all the time that the best name that Citrix ever had for one of its products was Presentation Server because it truly was presentation virtualization. You'll appreciate this then. So I had a conversation with a customer this week who said, uh, and they were just delivering applications. You know, I guess they've been doing that in healthcare for many years, right? So that's not an unusual use case in healthcare. It's just, you know, presenting the, um, you know, the EMR. But um, they, they came to us and said, hey, you know, we're, we're thinking about doing VDI, right? And so can we do that? And I was happy to tell them that with their dad's licensing that they own today, they could do VDI if they wanted to. So we kind of picked apart the use case. And Andy, I was probably talking about VDI, talking about Windows 10, maybe not so much Windows 11 at this point, but Windows 10 in my head for maybe 15 minutes before, you know, we had the conversation around, well, scaling the back end, what does that look like? And I go, hey, if you're thinking about VDI, you know, that's a single user operating system, you know, that's going to have an impact uh, on your resources on the back end, yeah. uh, as opposed to maybe a, a server-based OS, you know, RDSH style, where you can get several users. And he goes, yeah, you were thinking about using Windows Server 2016. And I go, oh, so this 15-minute conversation about VDI, <laughs> I didn't yeah. tell him this, was really just the same old thing we've been doing for years. And I didn't correct him because honestly, at the end of the day, wasn't super, super relevant. But listen, it's it's confusing. And, you know, the whole idea of VDI is just a, it's a sort of a generic term. Well, that's why I talk about it in terms of, um, you know, digital workspace. And then you break mm -hmm. that down to more uh, desktop virtualization, whether it's VDI or server hosted, single single session, multi-session. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, Jeremy, your question was, why did we push people towards VDI for the past 10 years? And that's because all the complexities of, you know, taking a server desktop and presenting that as a virtual or physical machine to the endpoint. And meanwhile, decoupling the apps and delivering the apps through streaming or layering or presentation into that virtual session to then turn around and be virtually delivered again. All that got squashed when you did VDI or didn't, didn't, it didn't have to, but it made it easy if you just said, okay, you know that thing you do on the physical desktop? Just do that on the virtual desktop on top of a hypervisor and then present that to the endpoint. And what you have to know, Mr. Customer, different is, is different, but not that different. If you can just do that, there's a chance that you might be successful. And that's pretty much been why the last 10 years have been the year of VDI. Well, have been uh, VDI above all else. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's a learning curve thing, right? So I get it. And, and that's the key, right? I mean, there's just so many different ways you can go left or right. And, uh, um, you know, okay, so the thing last week I was at, the, the biggest part of the presentation was around app virtualization of some type, not layering, not streaming, something in between that's supposed to increase the percentage of applications that you could virtualize and decouple from physical endpoints, virtual endpoints, server desktops, client desktops, physical, virtual, all, uh, all at the same time presented or uh, presented inside of VDI. Um, that was the real topic was the claim that you can now do that and have a positive impact for the administrator, yet not a negative impact for the end user. And that's what I was really asking about. Okay, if that's the case, then tell me how you're going to get both of those. Because our experience with like um, like the Unidesk solution that Citrix bought mm -hmm. and uh, cloud, cloud apps, uh, cloud volumes, cloud apps, uh, from VMware and others mm -hmm. has been, yeah, you can you can do that, and the administrator gets a win because now they have one package to update for everything. But the end user gets a little bit lesser of a user experience. And if that's the case, do I really want to go that route? I've got to weigh, you know, one versus the other. Okay, I got it. Listen, that is a 
for whatever reason, I've had an app learning conversation come up a few times in the last two or three weeks, and I've got an opinion on my own. But we can yeah, what is it? That. What is it? Just get a high level. You should should someone do it or should someone not do it? Um, well, so it all boils down to is the juice worth the squeeze? I think with app layering, you've got to decide that that is going to be your method of packaging images, delivering layering apps into a user's desktop. I mean, you've got to decide that that's going to be your approach. It can't be, I'm going to do a little bit of app layering and a little bit of how, what I used to do, because part of the whole app layering approach is um, it, it's certainly packaging the apps, right? And so you can do elastic layers if you need to, um, but you can also do you know the layered image, so the layered cake, and it's really tough to mix and match. And I would argue a lot of customers don't quite understand maybe where app learning makes sense. Um, so you might be using a solution to build one or two images. And that might be a lot of uptick, a lot of administration just to support a couple of images. On the flip side, you've got hospitals, we've got organizations who have you know 15 images and that's that might be an easy win where now it's easier to package and update applications across a bunch of different images. But yeah. if you've got one or two, it's probably not worth it. It's I, a, I had a customer up in Raleigh a bunch of years ago Mm-hmm. I fired. I mean, I literally had to fire the customer. They um, they they solved all their problems. Like I was there one week, and I came back like two weeks later, and mm-hmm. they solved all their problem by by using you know app layering Unidesk at the time. And the problem they actually solved was their own administrative problem. And I'm in a meeting with their boss, and their boss is you know kind of beating me up on why this isn't done, the project isn't done. And I'm like, well, because we can't make any progress because you're solving the wrong things. And she's like, you're yelling at me about what are you talking about? I'm like, well, hold on a second. Have you ever logged into the virtual desktop? Well, no, I've never logged into it. Okay, log into it. Seven, eight minutes later, she still hasn't gotten a desktop yet. And all this layering madness is happening in the background. I was like, look, your guys focused on the wrong problem. It's all about user experience. Until we focus on happy users, let's forget about how we manage the application layers. Spot on. It's spot on. I, I literally got up, walked out and told them, look, Here's my number. You got it. Call me if you need to. For now, I can't work with this until you guys get on the same page as what you're trying to accomplish. All right, Bill. I think I think our rant is over. <laughs> All right. So I know Bill's got thoughts on this. Bill, take us home on this topic, and then we'll move on. No, I mean, I, you know, I I can see it from both directions. I mean, from a tech, from a as a technologist or from a technology perspective, I love the the concept of app layering. And but it, to Jeremy's point. If you're a small shop and you've got a, a limited number of apps, I, the infrastructure and and knowledge that's required to implement something like that, no matter the vendor, um, it's a new way of doing things. And if you've got folks that are willing to invest the time and effort in understanding how to do it, understanding its use case, and it makes sense, sure. But you know, for your average medium small customer that's delivering a desktop, it it may not make sense. It's really it really you need to you need to look at the use cases and you need to consider to your point Andy the, the true end user experience if it's going to significantly impact the login time or the performance of the app or something along those lines then you need to consider the alternatives whether that's a hosted shared app whether that's a locally installed app you need to consider the alternatives in my my view. take is if it's going to have any impact on user experience be careful yeah yeah i mean the users are used to clicking an app especially with ssds these days and like it launches in uh, half a second if right. it's going to go from you know three seconds to eight seconds to be careful right all right well the um, blog that we chose to do today fresh fresh out today from a monica grismer who's been great and on a bunch of these i wish i kind of now that we started i wish i would have waited for her to join it but i think we can cover it uh, very well based on the topic she's put together here the title the title of it is um on-premises uh, versus cloud, which is best for your business solution? Jeremy, are, is she talking about the platform piece like Citrix Cloud or, or Citrix DAS? Um, let's see, Citrix DAS or Citrix uh, CVAD, you know, on-premises versus managing the cloud? Or is she talking about, is Monica talking about where the actual host desktops live? Uh, you know what? I, I think that was the first question I had about this uh, blog post was, is she talking about the platform itself? So Citrix DAS as a management platform being delivered out of the cloud or hosted on-premise, or are we specifically talking about, uh, you know, the workloads themselves? And as it turns out, maybe a little bit of both? Yeah, Probably a little of both. Bill, what's your thoughts after reading through this? 
Yeah, after reading through it, I think it's a little bit, I think you're right. I think it's a little bit of both. I, I think if you scroll down a little bit to that, the, the, the pros and cons, it kind of covers a lot of it. Um, yeah, there's so, a section where we're talking about IaaS and, and, and PaaS and SaaS and containers yeah. and things like that. I think that's where we kind of get into the nitty gritty, but yeah, yeah, it's a little bit of both. So, so here's my overall take, and you guys tell me if you agree or disagree, unless you can tell me why it shouldn't be the, the management plane should be as a PaaS platform as a service hosted in a cloud uh, and managed by Citrix and even accessed by the user through the Citrix access plane, unless there's a good reason, both from a technical and business, both really combined together. You guys agree with that at this point? At this point, I would generally agree with that. I mean, there are exceptions, maybe, you know, really high security environments or something along those lines. But generally speaking, I think, uh, I think that the, when you when you think about the concept of where we're going today with SaaS apps and everything hosted in the cloud and managed by a third party, uh, to the extent you can reduce the amount of of components you have to manage on premises, um, you're going to reduce your your risk and you're going to reduce your um, you know the amount of the the the, the labor cost. Right, and, and I mean, you, and you include and you increase your ability to scale across multiple. Places, I use yeah, places. You, it could be your, your private place. It could be your colo. It could be your partner's colo, which all of a sudden becomes cloud. It could be yeah. public cloud. It could be yeah. other types wow. of public clouds. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. You know, I think the, um, you know, what's funny is, um, you know, is in, the, in the blog post has, here, Monica talks about use cases for on premise environments. And even in all three of these, she talks about low uptime uh, requirements, you know, high demand workloads, you know large numbers of devices and tools connected via, via the ethernet, you know, even this is what confused me because I read that and go, you know, there's still a use case. I mean, if you've got, um, you know, Citrix DAS, the PaaS solution, right? The management solution, you know, these are still relevant. So, you know, it looks like we're talking about on-premise workloads as opposed to on-premise management, but either way, you know, I would say, um, you know, governance is probably the biggest one. Uh, but then I would argue if you were using the Citrix management plane, it actually makes governance a little bit easier. Um, in fact, we've got a you know scenario where you know, governments a lot of times we're talking about data sovereignty, and this makes it easy, right? Yeah. The idea that you can you can place these workloads wherever they need to sit. Um, I do have customers who have told me that their Citrix I'm using air quotes here, right? Because they're talking about the management plane too um, can't connect to the internet, and I'm not saying that that's not true, but you know that's a highly niche scenario. That a customer in some cases is chosen to do as opposed to required to do. I get it. Sometimes, you know, you're just kind of fed the requirements. But you know, even in that case, it's a small percentage. So I I'm finding, you know, in a majority of use cases, the DAS management stack in the cloud makes sense. Yeah, put a number on that. What uh, what what percentage of customers does platform as a service for managing your Citrix environment? We'll use Citrix generically there. Well, give me give me a number, Jeremy. All right, so I'm going to exclude public sector because I just don't understand that customer base. So hold on, federal let, government. sorry, let me ask the question quickly. Mm -hmm. Technically, thinking technical only, mm -hmm. what percentage of customers? Forget about the the money conversation that's coming up next. But the when it comes to Citrix in as a platform as a service versus on premises, mm -hmm. give me a number. What was the question again? What, number of what, folks what, have deployed. No, or? what percentage of customers should if they're going to consider Citrix, either they already have it or they're going to buy it, uh, be considering it as a service platform as a service because it meets their technical needs better versus going with on-premises. Um, 99%. Okay. Okay. 99. Bill, what's your number? I would have been lower than that, but I would have considered, uh, I would have probably been in the high 80s. Okay. So somewhere between 85 to 99%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't disagree. It's it's somewhere high. Now you asked me three years ago to give you something much lower, 50-50 even. But at this point, you've got to convince me why platform as a service technically doesn't make sense. And keep it in mind, we can always use, you know, some type of brokering technology, a citrus gateway, a, a Netscaler ADC to to handle the traffic and just manage the thing from the cloud. So Jeremy, when you gave us 99%, you're keeping it in your back pocket that you can you can have the traffic still flow, not necessarily in the cloud, but um, be managed from the cloud. Exactly. I mean, listen, Netscaler, I'm going to eat my words on this because I'm sure someone's going to say they don't want to manage a Netscaler, but 
you know, having a NetScaler on-prem, having a storefront server on-prem, you know, it's not a lot of management there outside of maintaining the NetScaler from a security perspective. You know, certainly Windows from a Windows perspective with storefront, but you know, I think a lot of the a lot of the challenge with managing an on-prem Citrix environment, at least from a management stack, is things like the databases, you know, the DDCs, you know, those components. Um, per, I mean, that's the heartburn sometimes on upgrades. That's why we talk about doing parallel upgrades is, you know, if the database goes sideways during an upgrade, you know, if the DDCs do a half upgrade as you're in between, I mean, that is the, that's the work. And so knowing that that's the brains and knowing that we have an offline mode if you lose connectivity to the cloud plane, not that Citrix cloud goes down, but what if your internet connection went down, right? So let's differentiate there. But, you know, if there's any reason that you've been offline and you can't contact the cloud, you know, there's a scenario where it still works. Do you lose some things? Sure, right? You can't make changes, but your users should not be impacted. Uh, that can be architected. And I think that's important to understand. For well, sure. There's another uh, pseudo technical reason. I mean, how many customers, Jeremy, do you have, have you run into across your time period that, uh, you know, like they didn't have a true test environment because they never took the time to build out a second total environment. The best they had was a, you know, a delivery group or two where they've, you know, where they throw garbage workloads and try to figure out if they'll work or not. This in the cloud, all of a sudden you can say, okay, I've bought a thousand licenses. I'm going to take 20 of them or five of them or whatever, and put it over here in this separate environment. And it truly is, you know, my test environment. Yeah, and there's actually some interesting things with that as well. So, and if you were to transition all those licenses, um, you can carve out and create a separate org ID just to be test dev. And, you know, we've got a tool in the automated config tool that will let you migrate over configurations if you need to. So I think um, it opens up a lot of possibility around test dev that maybe folks push back on when it was on-prem because just the effort involved in standing stuff, you know, things up. Yeah. Uh, Bill, before we move away from the platform side of this conversation and more into the workloads and infrastructures, any, anything else you want to add? No, I think Jeremy hit the, the nail on the head there, particularly as it relates to uh, uh, the availability of the environment. We, we sometimes hear customers that, that are concerned about going to cloud and all into the cloud using gateway service and things like that about what happens if gateway services, service goes down. Can my user sitting at home or can my user sitting in the office where the data center is or connected to the data center? Can they still access my applications? And the answer is yes. There are, there are generally speaking, it's yes. Um, if you have connectivity to that data center, then there are there are techniques that, that Citrix has developed that can enable the availability of those resources. So I think that argument, which may have been much more valid 12, 18, 24 months ago, is not nearly as valid today. Right. Yeah, that's one of the things that's made that number tick up more into yes, the 90 has. range. Yeah, I guess one of the things to clear up, uh, and we will talk about it maybe here in a minute, but the when you use Citrix DAS, you know, the platform has a service piece of it. The the data that's actually residing in the public cloud at that point under the Citrix tenant is is not much other than like metadata type metadata type stuff. So unless you've got some sec massive security requirements on that part of the data, you're fine. Yes, that's true. All right, so for the rest of this conversation, let's assume we're talking about the workloads running in a either on-premises, which be your private data center or your private data center to colo, or in a partner's environment data center like us, that all of a sudden becomes cloud-ish or cloud-like, or in the public cloud. Is that, is that, um, does that make sense why I, call, why I break those out that way? It does. it does, that makes total sense for sure. Jeremy, is it cloud or clouds? Clouds. Clouds. It's plural. The whole world calls it cloud. It's not the cloud. I mean, Microsoft would like for it to be the cloud, but it's clouds, right? It's Amazon, Microsoft, GCPs, mm -hmm. Integra Data Center in, on the East Coast, Integra Data Center on the West Coast, Rackspace Data Center. All those are clouds. Bill, give us the, uh, the typical smart aleck response to what is the cloud. <laughs> Just a data, somebody else's data center. That's it. Some, Somebody else's computer doing the same thing yours did. Just you just don't have to make the upfront investment and maintain it anymore. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and I would argue the only difference between that and a, and a colo is sometimes with the colo you have more insight into what's going on, and so you know this is a vCenter server, or you know just because they've kind of opened up the hood and shown you. But you know, for the most part, again, it's just someone else's data center. That's it. Well, and and I guess typically I was asking that question. You guys answered it. What is a you know public? What is a cloud? What is a IaaS cloud? And then there's mm -hmm. PaaS Cloud, and there's SaaS Cloud, and then there's DAS Cloud, and then there's also DAS Cloud, which is a device as a service. 
I mean, the, the your word cloud is just way overused for things. And, and that's fine when you're having a you know high level marketing mind melt, but when you're really trying to have a conversation technically about what are we talking about here, you should never use the word cloud all by itself. No, you're, you're correct. So this piece here goes through the pros and cons, specifically those workloads and yeah. considerations. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the first one. The first one is a resource deployment uh, for on-premises. Notice I keep harping on-premises because people says people say on-prem, they drive me nuts. On-premises, um, it's prim and proper, not premises. Um, okay, so resource, sorry, I cut off on an Andyism there. Uh, resource, resources <laughs> deployment. Uh, so for the de definition of on-premises is resources are deployed in-house. I don't know what that means, in-house. I guess that means your own private data center on your own private gear, right? You probably own the underlying hypervisor is probably what it means. Yeah. Hardware. Yeah. Yeah, you, you own the hardware it's executing on. Is that, that's how we'll... Well, that's how we'll call it, yeah. As opposed to the cloud where you're basically accessing any of that through some sort of managed portal is essentially what it is. And, and I love what Monica's done here. The, the answer for what is the resources deployment definition when we're talking about cloud is resources are deployed on a third party's, I put the uh, apostrophe S there, servers, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which again, that's all cloud is. It's just somebody else's infrastructure cloud. It's just somebody else's servers that they provide a layer of management and accessibility to. You just you just don't buy them and maintain the, you know, the blinking lights. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the next line down talks about cost. Um, says uh, on-premises requires upfront investment, whereas uh, most cloud providers use pay-as-you-go model. I guess that's MRR, AR, you know, right. op OpEx conversation. Yeah. yeah. So let me ask you guys this because you're in this space. Um, so from a requires an upfront investment. You know, a few years ago when I was selling servers. Um, I did see where some of the vendors were looking at providing, I guess they're scoping out subscription-based hardware, which I think maybe I can't wrap my head around that because I haven't sold it. Yeah. But I mean, what does that look like? I, I feel like I've had someone from Nutanix tell me recently that they're going subscription and maybe I don't, I've misunderstood how that worked, but I've also heard maybe Cisco and HP doing the same thing. Like, so let work? me try as the partner eventually brings all this together. The hardware guys have their model of subscription, which is really you just you know, just pay for however much consumption of the hardware you're using. Maybe you maybe you get a piece of hardware that's got this really high scale, but you're only paying for what percentage of that physical hardware that's being used. Or maybe you have the ability to you know go into a month to month model where you get hardware you know comes and goes as needed. Uh, mm -hmm. HP's is called GreenLake. Uh, Lenovo's is called TrueScale. So when you're talking to the hardware guys, that's their conversation. When you talk to a Nutanix, it's really more uh, around a monthly subscription model of licensing mm -hmm. where you probably pay more overall, but you get to do it by the month. And so you either scale it up or scale it down, or maybe you do it by the year. But it's it's two different conversations depending on the, are you talking to a hardware company or you're talking to a software company. Uh, in some cases, the Lenovo's and the HP's of the world can bring it all together under one thing, but it's it's pretty much just subscription um, OpEx type of model for for software and hardware. Okay, so in a sense, there's a little bit of maybe pay as you go, but it's probably not as flexible as a cloud provider, clouds provider, third party server provider. <laughs> it's it's not as uh, responsive to your changes, I wouldn't think, and is not as elastic, right? Elastic, okay, yeah, yeah, I got it. And remember, yeah. elastic can mean stretching out and also contracting. Um, yeah. yeah, super easy to do that in, in true public cloud offerings. I got it. Okay. Um, well, I, I guess, and then you know, the next one here, right? So we talk about well, the limits. Hold of, on. I want to stay on the cost one because there's a conversation to be had around the cost one, which is it's important to consider too. When you go to a like a cloud provider model, you are committing to them that you are going to spend money with them every month. And you are going to pay your bill. And if you don't, they're going to tell you, hey, you didn't pay your bill. We're going to turn you down a little bit or we're going to turn you off versus when you go with uh, you know, the investment up front, you either paid it up front and then you decide whether you keep paying for it because it's now you know, nine tenths of the law, rule of law, like possession, right? You own it, you have it. Uh, it's a lot harder for somebody to turn you off. There's leverage that goes on when you move to a true cloud model. Oh, and there's something else too, right? So um, I haven't... Obviously, I don't pay a cloud bill myself, but I talk to customers who 
I mean, there's a different economy to the cloud in terms of like how you get charged and how you can reserve instances and how you, you know, contract with the vendor and things like that. Right. So, um, you know, I found in a lot of cases, you know, customers who just had no idea that they should be reserving instances on, on VMs and have been paying much more than necessarily they need to. Um, have you guys gotten into situations, has Integra gotten into situations where you've helped evaluate that for a customer and made recommendations around saving costs? Yeah, I, um, I jokingly say that our our good customers don't put any of their desktop and app virtualization in the public cloud mm-hmm. because they don't get exactly the machines they need and they pay way too much for it now. Reserved mm-hmm. instances or the ability to live migrate instances using some of the softwares that's out there uh, has made that uh, much more doable. And we do have some customers that do use public cloud, uh, but we're most of the time our really good customers that we're helping a ton they put their stuff in our data center or we put a cage in their colo. And at, at that point, it's our stuff. It's our software, our servers. Therefore, you could argue that is cloud, uh, but it's not like the true public cloud providers would ask you to define it. I got it. I mean, so there's an obvious question to ask, but maybe when we get to the end of the, to the, end of this section here, um, but we'll come back to that. So I'll, I'll let Bill respond to that too, but I will tell you a quick story. Um, Zintegra, has the ability to, if you said, Zintegra, I want this stuff out of my cage, therefore I want to go cloud, but I want to do what fits my needs the best. We can do with what we do with one of our banks Mm -hmm. up in the New York area. We actually put um, gear in the cage right beside theirs. And we also replicate that to our um, data center in Atlanta. And so they got the true, you know, they got cloud. They got, it wasn't theirs anymore. They just have a connection, cross connection over to our cage redundant cross connections. Therefore it became cloud to them, uh, but we created no additional latency because we're still in the same building, like literally 12 feet away, but they accomplished the goal of getting it off their stuff. Therefore they moved their desktop to the cloud, a cloud. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll echo what Andy said. I mean, we have a lot of customers that that uh, want to go to the public cloud, and some will, will dip their toes in it and test it out, uh, but a lot of them end up back with some form of alternate cloud, whether there's it's their own private cloud or it's the Zintegra cloud or it's it's some other um you know colo that they're leveraging. Um we do have some that end up in in the public cloud and are and many of them are most of them are happy with it. But uh you have to frame it and, and architect it in a way that helps minimize those costs, things like uh, auto scaling and and tools like reserved instances and those sorts of things that can help keep the costs in check for those customers. Yep. And that's yeah. where okay tools like uh, the Citrix Autoscale comes into play big time, you know, using non-persistent images to scale up and scale down and, you know, make sure you balance out. I mean, you literally could think about, okay, I've got, you know, a hundred desktops running over here, hundred over there, this cloud, that cloud. And at any point in time, I can just determine which where I want the workloads to go based on who's charging me the most or the least. Well, you know, and so, you know, I'll skip forward then here, right? So we're going to talk about scalability, data security, and compliance here. But, you know, I think the ultimate question is, you know, Andy, where am I putting my workloads? My EUC workloads is probably the best question. Well, and there's lots of things to ask um, to determine where you want to put it. Uh, something, you know, honestly, Jeremy, what I've seen a lot um, is that whoever we're talking to at like the CIO level, he's looking for a resume builder. So he's moving everything to the cloud. And you're like, why? It's like, well, that's the way to do it. And that's how we're going to do it. And then he does it. Customers spending a fortune on, um, you know, infrastructure as a service, hosting those desktop or app workloads. And, you know, six months later, he went and got a job somewhere else and put that on his resume as to how he did that. And you're going, well, that's great. But I don't know why you decided to do that. You, the, the logic was just, you know, just to follow the mat, follow the herd and get your next good job. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, you know, I think Bill said it best when he said it depends, right? We had customers who moved to the cloud for that exact reason, and then the CIO leaves, or someone got the bill and realized that you know that's not sustainable, and so they end up moving from a cost perspective. You know, they move the workloads where it makes sense, right? And I think that's the advantage. But and and what plays into that is certainly scalability. Um, in some cases, supply chain has limited the scalability of the on-premises model for sure. But then data security, right? So where do the data? Where does the data need to live? So I think that plays into it, uh, and you know, compliance is probably closely tied to that. But um, it, it's interesting. I don't know in some cases that you know all four of these are really considered in a lot of cases, and so 
it ends up being more of a, you know, we need to be dynamic and maybe DR goes to the cloud. Maybe that's a good place to start. But um, Interesting. I love yeah, I love that all four of these were called out because these should be what we ask about in our cloud conversations. Well, keep uh, in mind, in terms- it, it doesn't necessarily have to be DR when we're talking about you know EUC mm-hmm. workloads. We can we can put our workloads in multiple places because of the platform as a service concept we're talking about here at the same time. And so users can literally you know log in today and get one over here. The next person logs in and gets one over there. And then mm-hmm. if you said, is it working? Well, yeah, it's working. I know my recovery is working because they're using them simultaneously and nobody mm-hmm. even knows it's happening. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That's a good list. Bill, do you have examples Bill. of customers that are simultaneously using more than one back end and not even realizing it? Um, yeah, well, in, in a lot of cases where they have their own private data centers that are going between them, maybe East Coast, West Coast, and the users, or maybe even East Coast, Central, West Coast, the users may not even realize it. We also have some that are doing or either are already doing or looking to do kind of what I referred to as bursting in the cloud. And that is where the user doesn't really know whether they're on the on-prem data center or whether they're in a cloud running their desktop to cloud. It shouldn't matter to them as long as they have access to their data. And we do have some customers that are doing that today. And historically, when it would show up that it was going to be a problem is when they go to run that application inside that desktop or on that app server, and it needs to talk to some, you know, mm-hmm. backend mm-hmm. server. Okay, where the, where's that thing sitting at? But now with, you know, with these direct connects and the SD WAN capabilities and just the raw bandwidth and uh, latency, uh, things that have been enhanced, not 100% solved, but enhanced is, you know, do, do you even notice that it took an extra half a second to launch and get that data or or not? Well, maybe not, but I think it's something that has still has to be considered, right? Because that's always been the golden rule of end-user compute is you've got to put that front end um, close to the back end for that experience, to your point, right? Uh, originally, which was that anything that impacts the user ex- experience needs to be challenged, right? So, you know, I think that's a part, that's got to be a part of the architecture is, you know, is, it, is the latency going to be worth it? You know, depending on the application, it depends. Yeah. It's. I always use the example if you're if you have kids and you're going to travel for Christmas, uh, where are the kids going to be? They're going to be at grandma's house. Well, where should the presents be? Grandma's house. Grandma's house. <laughs> if not, that's going to be a really bad, uh, really bad Christmas morning. For yes, sure. sir. Yeah. All right. So scaling up, scaling down, clouds bring that into the mix for you. Uh, data security. We talked about. Uh, you know, the uh, IP that's associated with the metadata, with the platform as a service. Uh, let's just hit this one again real quick, guys. So security um, of the uh, data that's going to be in that environment or at least transferred through that environment, um, that should be part of what you decide, may help you decide on where those workloads should run, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, certainly from a, from a, access layer for sure. But then secondly, you know, how, I mean, listen, all, not all data is the same. You know, most companies, most organizations tier their data. And I don't mean in a backup scenario, but just in terms of security. And so I think that's got to be considered as well. And then that bleeds right into compliance where there are, or, there are countries who require data to be in certain locations, certain locales. I mean, that's GDPR in a nutshell. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, that leads right into the next one, compliance. If compliance says it has to be here and you just follow their rules to the letter of whatever the rules mm-hmm. are, then there's your decision criteria right there. It is. Yep. Um, okay. So, okay. So before we move on to the next section, uh, I'm going to do another question for you, Jeremy, give me your answer first. What percentage of compute will end up in the public clouds and what percentage of the compute will have to end up somewhere other than the public cloud in your perspective? Hmm. Okay. Well, I'll start off by saying that most it appears right now to be on-prem still. Um, so I'll go, you know, I'll go 60, 40. I would have, I would have said 80, 20, cause that's the sort of the industry, the running industry joke, 80% on-prem, 20% in the cloud, but I think it probably skews down a little bit. So I'll say 60, 40. So 60% on 60% Premises. not in the public cloud, but somewhere else. And then 40% in the true public clouds. Correct. Okay. Bill, your thoughts? I would say this. I would. I was initially, my first thought when you asked the question was 50-50. Um, but I think, you know, it's Jeremy's probably right that it will end up being more like 60% on-prem. I mean, what we're finding today with customers that want to do, you know, that are running an older version of, of Citrix uh, 715 or, or uh, even 1912, and they want to go to the latest 
they're staying on most of them or many of them are staying on prem we do we are we are finding that some are going to the cloud some of them are 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 we're doing on prem and they're evaluating the cloud so they're not really ready to make the leap and when i say the cloud i'm talking both workloads and the the uh, the control plane uh so i think there's still some reluctance and i think a lot of it has to do with uh not really understanding it a and b the cost well, and to be clear, I was talking about I was talking about compute just in general, not just desktop, not just end user, but just in general compute, like what we currently have for x86 workloads, server based, whatever, not desktops, but you know, client server applications too. What would you say the how yeah, much is going to go gonna in? Be, it's probably going to be around 60-40. I mean, because I think you're encompassing in that those situations where the customers IaaS today, but they might be PaaS or even SaaS tomorrow. Um, yeah, that's so. a good point. Yeah, I mean, take your ERP, right? If you've been running that on-premises for years, your migration project probably looks like, I'm not forklifting to the newest version sitting in a cloud infrastructure somewhere. I'm probably, it's probably a SaaS app at that point. Yeah. You know, it's probably Oracle Cloud or, or something like that. I don't know, but yeah, that's, that's probably a different delivery model. All right, so let's get through the rest of this. We're going to run out of time. But uh, so the next section is, uh, what is an on-premises environment? What are the pros? The pros that are listed, um, I'll run through these and then you guys can comment. Uh, infrastructure control. So we control uh, where these workloads are running. Security, we we know that it's within our four walls. Of course, it's hooked up to a, a cable that takes it out to the rest of the world, but that's a whole other topic. Uh, compliance, uh, you know, we go by our, our, our rules and regulations. And then efficiency, uh, low latency. Any of those that uh, you guys want to highlight or disagree with as far as uh, pros of on-premises environments? Um, I think this is why the on-premises versus cloud, you know, are we talking about infrastructure, you know, just workloads only, or are we talking about the management stack? Confuse me a little bit because, you know, with on-premises environment, all of this is true, infrastructure control, share, right? Security, you know, I think you could get that out of the cloud version of just the, the PaaS version, the DAS service, if you will, from Citrix. Same thing for compliance and efficiency, you know, just low latency close to users. So, um, yeah, like I don't disagree with any of this, but, you know, I, this is where it confused me a little bit because you can get all of this out of a SaaS-delivered, you know, Citrix service. Oh, no, I, I agree. I don't really have anything to add. To that to jeremy what jeremy said it's just a new way of thinking right so going back to mm -hmm. jeremy's comments around security i mean if i put it up there and then i turn on all the bells and whistles that are exist up there uh and know that well all the bells and whistles that exist this up there can i do i get better security potentially it's just because it's in my four walls and you know i don't have all these tools turned on to look at it does that that doesn't mean it's better more secure no, you're absolutely right and so um you know i would argue and listen, I got to understand what your security posture is and like your approach to security as an organization. But, you know, honestly, being SaaS delivered might make you more secure. You know, I think that's a smaller footprint to manage. Um, you get a lot of the same. I mean, you're still managing your 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 data, your workloads themselves. So, you know, that's a tough one. I think you can it's equal there for sure. Yeah. All right. So the cons listed for on-premises is scalability, both up and down. Uh, infrastructure costs. Somebody's got to break out the check and at least commit to it or pay for it up front. Uh, maintenance. Now you've got that IT guy that is back to swapping out hard drives and other things, worse things. Uh, security. You've got both physical and network and other technology-related securities that you're you're on the hook for all by yourself. Uh, and then reliability and having a team that you can trust to keep these things up up when uh, well up. Period. Uh, Bill, you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, I think all of these make sense. So the one that I would highlight um, is really the third one, maintenance. Um, and I would argue that what we've seen anyways is uh, a lot of organizations have scaled back their IT staffs over, over the past couple of three years. And what I mean by that is, is the folks are, are really more focused on what it says here, maintenance and updates, so it's accurate. But being able to, to run the environment, to understand how the environment interacts with the rest of the environment, uh, kind of what I would call a higher level of knowledge and capabilities, we're finding that a lot of that has gone to the public cloud vendors or to partners or, or folks like us. Uh, the customers don't often seem to have, some customers don't often seem to have the real skill set that they did five, six years ago about end user computing. And so um, that's that's definitely a con of the honor of an on-premises event environment. You really need to understand your environment to manage it. 
Um, and if you don't really have that fundamental understanding of how it works and how the pieces interact with one another, then that can be a real challenge for maintaining it. Bill, you think it's going to be hard to find uh, the next generation of employee that understands how to go uh, add a riser board to a system board? <laughs> I, I know I know exactly what you meant when you said that, which is that going to be a dying breed? <laughs> I mean, change change your oil. My car doesn't have oil. I, I can't change the oil. What are you talking about? Well, this this thing we have sitting over here still has oil, and I need you to change it. Okay, good luck. Right, right, right. Exactly. Jeremy, any, any call outs on the cons that are listed there? Um, you know, I think infrastructure costs, I mean, it's a capital expenditure versus operational, right? And so I think that's what it boils down to. And it's much easier. It's much easier to buy up front and then try to depreciate for sure, but you might end up buying more than you need. And that's hard for a lot of organizations to predict these days. Um, and, and that's pretty much across the board. So I think with a sort of a subscription model to the cloud, to, to clouds, to things like that, um, you know, even though it changes month to month, it ends up being a little bit more predictable. And yeah. I think that's what organizations appreciate about that model. Now, granted, sometimes the accounting hasn't caught up. So I'll still bump into customers who are, they'll tell me we only, you know, we only do capital expenditures. We don't do OPEX. And I go, that's not true. But because a lot of what you're buying right now is OPEX, but, you know, it does take some organizations a little while to come around for sure. Yeah. Um, I got to go back to this one. Jeremy, you said you don't, uh, you don't have any cloud that you pay for. You you have Netflix, right? Uh, well, man, I have a ton of cloud. <laughs> yeah, you have a ton of cloud, right? And I mean, you, you didn't have to buy that, uh, what used to be $600 DVD player. You know, by now you can get them for 60 bucks. But my point is we all have cloud, but we're, and we're choosing to go that way for the conveniences as well as the lack of not having to pay for I bought my son. I, bought, I had to buy a new Xbox. By the time I was done, it was $600. Mm-hmm. I mean, I listen, it even plays DVDs. <laughs> it does. It, it plays Bluetooth these days too. But, you know, the one thing that used to give me a little bit of heartburn is, do you guys ever buy Microsoft Office, you know, like for the house? Oh, yeah. And not like, not like the student edition and not like the $15 version that maybe you got through work, but just you buy it for your house. I mean, if you wanted the version that you used at work, it was $300, 300 bucks, which is insane. And now I'm paying nine bucks a month. You know, I could pay it yearly, but I'm happy to do nine bucks a month because I like the idea of being able to turn it off. Is it cheaper if I buy a year in advance? Sure. But I also like the idea that, listen, it's nine bucks a month. I got five devices that all have office and over the course of three years, it's more expensive. But man, it's just a walking into like CompUSA. If you guys remember that place yeah, and just dropping some coin down on, on Microsoft Office once every three years is just, so I don't want to go back to that. There's the convenience as well as mm-hmm. there's the uh, the costing out model, the OPEX model. And mm-hmm. here's the, the flip side of that. Jeremy, when in your life do you, you, do you anticipate anticipate not paying for Microsoft Office under the current model? I mean, I don't see a, a time unless we just change what we do from a, an application perspective. I'll probably do it for a long time, forever. Forever. And mm-hmm. do you put your uh, personal like pictures and stuff up in there? Yeah. Yeah, what what's going to happen? You're going to keep paying for it until you're gone, and then you just wonder. It's sticky. You know, it's sticky. Right before you die, make sure you download all those pictures <laughs> and give it to somebody else to put up in theirs. Exactly. Exactly. Sorry, Bill. Go ahead. No, I was going to say. Yeah, I do the same. I mean, I'm ashamed, almost ashamed to admit that until like March, February, March of this year, I was still using uh, Outlook 2010 uh, on my home computer, and I finally got to the point. This is just crazy. Uh, so we, you know, and then I have older children, children who are who want to be able to use you know OneDrive and things like that. So I finally just hit the bullet and and bought the uh, subscription, like Jeremy said, and we moved from paying for a cloud-based storage place for our pictures to OneDrive. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, and, and to your to your point, yeah, we'll, I'll be using that thing until you know until either it goes away or I go away. Yeah. Can you even buy Microsoft Office outright? Yes. That's the little thing. You can. You can. Here we go. Buy Microsoft Office. Like home business. Twenty. It's two hundred and fifty dollars. Okay. Is what it is. Yeah. Hey, hey, and it's a one-time purchase for one Mac or PC. Right. Yeah. I've got four machines in my house, so you know that's a thousand bucks, right? There you go. Okay. All right. So last section of this uh, blog from Monica says uh, use cases for on-premises environments. It's almost like number one and number two contradict themselves. You have low uptime requirements. 
Therefore, you can get away with on-premises. And the next one, number two, is you have high-demand workloads. Graphics. So I guess that's performance. Okay, graphics things that just become cost prohibitive in the cloud. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, let's be clear. You can do high demand workloads out of you know Amazon, Azure. I'm assuming GCP. I haven't I haven't dived into that one, but they're not. Zintegra. Zintegra. Oh, Zintegra. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. Every, See what you did. Like we required. We almost force every customer to have some type of GPU because we know they're end user experience can be improved. You know what? I haven't talked about hardware GPU in a long time. I'd love to revisit what that looks like at some point. Just, yeah, yeah there was the Iris chip. There was obviously NVIDIA. I think AMD was doing something for a while. That might be something to revisit at some point. I think we're all in NVIDIA these days. I don't think there's stuff ever in, in a materializing Nothing else us, to go. Yeah. But I don't get involved in that. Bit. So, okay, you got low uptime requirements, which... You know, I mean, look, I ran entire data centers with uh, single servers with, you know, redundant uh, disk controllers. Mm -hmm. um, what we think of high availability today is so much greater than what we used to. But at the end of the day, if you're not taking advantage of the, the greatest ways of being redundant and highly available, then you're you know, potentially letting the organization down. So it's, it mm -hmm. is real. So I just wonder when Monica says low uptime requirements, is there a number you can put on that? Yeah, I, don't know. Um, I think this is really the smallest of the small. If you're, you know, if you want to have your your infrastructure in a closet in your main office, then then and you can you can handle a power outage or maintenance or such, then you know maybe you can you can do it in a local office versus putting it in a colo or something. I think that's really what what it says here. What she's saying here. Yeah. Uh, last one is your organization has a large number of devices and tools connected via Ethernet. Yeah, that's a, I mean, keeping a work, I mean, especially manufacturing, you know, having some sort of, you know, end user compute workload sitting in a, in a regional location makes sense. What's interesting is um, I, I think we enable that more out of, you know, the Citrix DAS service because, you know, trying to do this with on-prem infrastructure, zoning out different locations didn't make a whole lot of sense. Whereas, you know, the way this architecture works is putting cloud connectors in a, yeah. regional manufacturing facility it's pretty easy to do well first thing that pops up in my head when we get to that point is okay mm -hmm. sounds like we're now talking about edge where where does edge computing yeah. fit into on-premises versus cloud computing? that's true i think that's exactly what we're talking about here because you're going to have some manufacturing facilities and, and other types of facilities that are going to be in very rural parts of the country that may not have mm -hmm. really high speed or decent speed access even to the platform layer or the control plane and that's where you really get into the edge computing question about, you know, do we want to want to deliver that using edge technologies in that location that are that may be connected to the to the mothership, so to speak, but at a very high latency or a low bandwidth uh, connection. Yeah. Well, guys, we I, just made, I just made an executive decision. We're going to we're going to stop because, because we need to cover the rest of this. And I don't want to I don't want to be Paul Thorat and talk for four and a half hours. I was thinking the same uh, thing, by the way. I was like, we're going to turn this into Windows Weekly. It'll be a two hour episode. Of yeah. good content. We'll just yeah, do we need... part one and part two, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna we're gonna pause here and we'll come back next week and jump into the pros and cons of cloud computing uh, after a brief recap on what we covered so far. But uh, guys, I appreciate it, and hopefully we'll hopefully this is a cliffhanger. I, I'm just imagining the Dukes of Hazard, the General Lee car going from one side <laughs> of the bank to the other. And see, we're just gonna be waiting all week for a part two of this. It's pretty funny. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining. And uh, we will jump on the same topic next week. Maybe maybe Todd will be with us and uh, he can just uh, tell us everything we did was correctly right or wrong one way or the other. Or completely wrong. Yeah. Awesome. All right, fellas. Good to see you again. Yep. See you next week. See you next week. Thanks.